Quick note about our friends at Monmouth Park. They've got a big day this coming Saturday, June 18th. It's Haskell Preview Day. We're going to have a special custom episode available here on the In The Money Media Network focusing on those stakes races. Note they have the win early pick five available every card, the earliest pick five in the country on every Saturday and Sunday. First post on Fridays is at 2 p.m. and on Saturdays and Sundays at 12.15 Eastern Time. The Shore's greatest stretch, Monmouth Park, Join us for some action at the shore later this week. Welcome to the In the Money Players Podcast Recap Edition covering Belmont Stakes and Belmont Stakes Weekend, where there was plenty of action down at least down from where my co-host is located up from where i'm located but it was where i was located at the time nick tamaro here joined by the one and only the man of mystery jonathan kinchin how are you buddy nicky the boss it was a sad weekend for me not getting to see you uh was was, was sad i didn't get to join uh, for the traditional peter luger's uh rendezvous but uh looks like you guys had a good time and and uh it looked like you had some winners throughout the day. I was trying to keep track of you in the contest and uh, probably didn't end the way you wanted it to, but uh, hopefully you had a good weekend. Yeah, it was a good time. Had a few winners, not in the uh, right order, as is always the case, and uh, didn't come up timely enough. But yeah, had a great time. We're now up to the, I think we counted, this was the eighth annual Peter Luger trip, ditching 2020. Couldn't count that with, no. uh, with everything going on COVID related. But yeah, we missed seeing you for sure. It was uh, it was a fun time. I'm, Oh, it, that is the one trip I always look forward to for months and months leading up to it. And so we, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it was a lot of fun, but you were there in spirit and certainly pointed to 2023. Oh yeah. I'll be back. I'll be back in action. And, and, and uh, it's funny, like, you know, being able to kind of just sit on the couch and watch this Belmont, this is the last time I'm going to be able to kind of do that because next year we're going to have it on Fox. And so I'm sure I'll be busy uh, that day. Yeah, I think you might be a little bit uh, a little bit wrapped up, but uh, already looking forward to it. No question about it. Well, let's dig right into it. Uh, since this is a recap show, we're going to go through all of the uh, grade ones from the Belmont Stakes Racing Festival, which began, of course, on Thursday with a couple of with one graded stake, a couple of ungraded stakes. That was, of course, the wonder again, which was won by consumer spending. But let's let's actually work our way through the grade one starting on Friday with the New York, which was won by Bleecker street. And you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear if you have kind of the same take I did, which was that it wasn't so much. And again, I, I picked Bleecker street. I actually thought she was a very reasonable candidate to beat Rougier. It was not a great opinion by any means. She was five to two. I think the biggest story coming out of it was how flat Rougier was. Yeah. She ran pretty poorly. Um, and, you know, the thing about it is, is, uh, you know, I had, I had kind of reached out to Chad and asked like which one he preferred. And he said, well, I think Rougier just might be better than these horses. And I think we all knew that, right. She, she won a grade one in France um, on the arc undercard. Like that's the pinnacle to to a certain extent. So a Philly who could do that, you would think that she is likely going to be the best, the double horse that won at Tampa. Right. Um, But Chad was concerned about the time, the ground and thought that Bleecker street, might have the edge in terms of rest and kind of having her best ability to put her, her best foot forward. I'll say this in multi-race, you know, two day pick six, I had made some wagers into that race, out of that race at the top of the stretch. 
I didn't think either one of them was going to win. Yeah. I almost did. The, I did the old, I'm going to close my computer move. And then I was like, oh, I'm just watching this race. And then she came running. So I preferred Rougier going in, I think like many people did. Um, but Bleecker Street just keeps kind of showing up and, and finding the wire. So you got you to gotta respect that. Yeah, it was probably that um, that win at Churchill that kind of made me, although I will admit I really was taken by Bleecker Street at Tampa, but I thought she really had no business winning at Churchill on Oaks Day and still won. And, you know, you kind of kind of figured that Irad was going to do exactly what he ended up doing, which is follow Rougier for as long as he could get off cover in time to produce that one late run. And it was just enough. So I thought it was a very astute ride on his part. I was a little surprised that Rougier didn't have more of a of a, I guess, a notable excuse. Maybe it was the ground. Maybe she prefers ground with a little bit more cut in it. If that's the case, I don't know how much success she's going to end up having in America, but um, maybe a late fall or mid mid autumn turf course at Keeneland could end up being to her liking, but it'll be very interesting to see how she performs in a race like the Diana next month, where I think uh, Chad has said she's pointed to right now, the uh, buyer speed figure on it was, I think 96. So bleaker street, a horse that, uh, Chad may not admit it, but I'm guessing Bleecker Street caught him by surprise. There's no way he was thinking he was sending a future grade one winner to Monmouth and then Meadowlands for her first two starts. No, and to be honest, I think moving forward, which is one of the things I like to do in these recap shows, is I think Bleecker Street is the type of horse that you can look, don't go crazy, but you can look to try to beat her in subsequent spots because people are going to fall in love with all those ones in her past performances and they're going to fall in love with the fact that she's undefeated. And she's going to be a shorter price than she should be. And to be fair, the way to be fair, the way that she won, kind of, I mean, she won easily in the end, but it was desperate at the quarter pole and the eighth pole. She's not the type of horse that you could just, you know, you're going to be singling in these situations where she's pace dependent. I just think she's the type of horse, an undefeated horse that you could try to beat in certain circumstances moving forward. Did you think that the rabbit did the rabbit's job? I mean, I don't know. The, the word rabbit is really a tough word for me to deal with this last couple of days. But um, no, I mean, I, I, I always see these rabbits that go out there and go 49 to the half. Like I, I always envision they're supposed to go 47. Um, and I don't know if it's the riders that get out there and just think to themselves for a second, oh, I got a chance to win this one. Let me, let me go ahead and slow them down. Or, 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 or maybe it's the instructions where Chad doesn't want to say, you're, a, you're an absolute rabbit. Go to the front, go as fast as you can, then get out of the way. Or if Chad says like, yeah, get out there, keep it an honest pace and kind of gives the rider too much freedom. But no, I, I don't think it was, I don't think it was the intent to give the best, to give them the best chance to win. Yeah. I felt the same way. I, I thought that flight flighty lady, of course, is who we're talking about um, going 50 to the half 50 and three, um, even on the time form us adjusted fractions, it was still a very, very moderate pace and, and not what you would envision was going to happen with um with a rabbit type situation. So, and, and, and I only, I only mentioned that because when you look at the, the sort of race flow, Bleecker street ran extremely well, right? I mean, the, the forces that were first and second, the entire way stayed first and second, but one of them was flighty lady who was sort of an uncompetitive entrant at 50 to one. I think as much of the story in the race is about the no shows as it is the, uh, the eventual winner. So I could see her still having to, to maybe prove it again. And maybe she ends up resurfacing in a race like the, the Beverly D at Churchill or whatever they're going to call the Beverly D on the new Arlington million day, which uh, you believe the mile and an eighth mile. And I guess a mile and an eighth is all they can do. That would really probably be, that's probably her perfect trip. 
Yeah, I would think so. I mean, look, I, I, I think that we'll see more of Rougier, and I, and I think she'll – and I, I even think we'll see Virginia Joy in, in certain circumstances, maybe a little bit longer. Some of those – I don't know the name of them, Nick. You're better at that than me. I mean, those kind of like those long mile-and-a-half races at Saratoga yeah. where there's always some pluggy horse in there that like Albatroni trains, it like runs good, and you, you know, that type of deal. Yeah. I, I think that she could show up in one of those types of situations. Yeah, flower. Well, Flower Bowl is at uh, Saratoga now too, at a mile and three eighths. So that's going to be. There was one horse, of course, that wasn't in this race that will be in some of those longer distance races. I would assume is Warlike Goddess, but um, I'm guessing Mott felt like a mile and a quarter, and maybe taking on three Chads was not necessarily the greatest idea in early June. I assume she's. I should have looked, but I assume she's still in training. I know she's in training. I just don't know if she's working. But yeah, we could. Yeah, we'll I, we could do one of those deals where we talk real slow and type. And yeah, then, we can. I could probably come up with enough filler. But um, yeah, she worked. She worked uh, last week up here okay. at Saratoga. Um, on uh, she went three. She went three furlongs. So it doesn't seem like they're you know getting her ready for anything soon. Probably just a slow kind of build up. Yep, makes perfect sense. That was the New York, which was on Friday. Did you find any of the other? I guess we'd be remiss in talking about Friday without at least mentioning Jackie's Warrior. Not so much because I have any great insight into the race, but um, it was a pretty compelling performance, which I think we all kind of expected. Um, he's just sort of routinely good. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, he made a little figure improve there. He's as visually dominant and as dominant as his race record is, his speed figures don't do what those freaky elite sprinters do. They're just a tad light compared to like, you know, uh, you know, like when, when Volatile was running those fast numbers and, and all these other uh, horses that we've seen kind of freak and run these freaky fast numbers. Don't get me wrong. He's an outstanding horse. And I thought that he would have to, you know, not break from the gate to win, but I feel like he's still a little bit vulnerable. Yeah, I I think that what will happen when Jackie's Warriors really met with an early challenge will help us kind of figure out where he stands historically. Because right now he's 0 for 1 when he's really been pushed in a hard way. And I think that those of us, that and what you're kind of alluding to is that those of us that want to take a contrarian approach, we want to take a critical approach of a good horse. We want to see them do things, special things without having things their way. And I think he is a horse that both because he brings forth a tremendous amount of speed, um, but he's also been fortunate on, on a number of occasions. You very rarely see, it's only in the modern game that you see a horse's past performance lines, especially using pace figures where they're as light as they are nowadays. I mean, you would never, this horse would never get the free ride 20 years ago that he does now. Yeah. Look, I, and just to be clear, and I think you agree with me, he's a really cool horse, super talented horse. And he'll go down as, is a, is a, I think he'll go down in the conversations of being a great sprinter. He's not the greatest and he's not in that category yet. He's got some other kind of, he needs to kind of overcome a little bit more adversity, I think, to kind of get that wow factor. You know, he ran into life is good. I'm not sure that was the real life is good, but that was still a pretty good test for him. And, and I got, he gave him a lot more respect. For, I just, let's see a couple more. Let's see him go win up at Saratoga with some big horses. Let's, let's see him kind of rattle off a couple more in a row and maybe get a Breeders' Cup sprint underneath his belt. And then maybe I'll start to bend the knee as him being one of the greatest sprinters of all time. Uh, I agreed. Now, on Friday, there was a little bit of a chorus on social media, which again, it's Twitter's not a real place, but um, 
about him having at that point, people were thinking that he should have ran in the Met mile. Did that ever cross your mind Friday? Um, no, I didn't cross my mind Friday, but you know, I, I think that he, I think that he has the credentials to be a Met mile type, but I don't think he had the credentials to be a Met mile type on Saturday. And yeah. I think Steve Asmussen probably knows that too. Um, That's what I was just about to say, right? I mean, the guys won the Met Mile, what, three times in the last five years. If anybody knows how to win the Met Mile, it's Steve Asmussen. And the fact that he didn't want to run him in there, I think said all that, that you needed to know. Right, right. And it might be a distance thing for Jackie. Um, you know, his Pat Day Mile was, 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 not, was not spectacular. I mean, the pace was honest in there, and he ran into that, uh, the horse from California, Peter Erden. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wasn't great in that race. His races are better when it's a little bit shorter. Maybe Steve knows that's what he wants to do. Yeah. I, I, I think Steve not running him in there said about all you needed to know. Um, and I think that caught in the, in the afterglow, people always overrate performances. I mean, with all due respect to the five rivals that he faced on, on Friday, um, none of those horses really are legitimate grade one or two caliber sprinters at all. No. Um, no. fact, not even really close, but Hey, he did what he was supposed to do with them in what ended up being a very impressive performance. Okay. Let's go to Saturday and look at some of these stakes races. The card began stakes wise in race number three with the acorn. And we were all sort of stunned, um, sta- sitting in disbelief as we saw the saddle come off of echo Zulu a couple of minutes before the post and certainly helped that hoped that whatever news we would get her would be that she was okay. And, um, and then of course we anticipated the odds on Matarea dropping very quickly, probably not a ton to say about this hope echo Zulu does well moving forward. But uh, this race was sort of a, a layup for Matarea once the scratch happened. No, I mean, I, I think that this is, you know, hindsight to 2020, but I think the more, the most important thing we can take from this race is I think that like, this is the example of why you, you, you don't worry about, you don't worry as an owner and a trainer about not getting your horses beat, put them in spots where they can have chances to do special things. But I think what happens is you say to yourself, I don't want to run against Echo Zulu in the acorn. I'm just going to wait for this grade three next week that I have, that I'll be, you know, six to five in Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of horses in there. There's two horses in there that made a lot of money for their owners and didn't have to do much. And that's divine huntress and dream lift who are now grade one placed that come the, you know, the, the catalogs don't mention that echo Zulu scratched. They're going to have, they're going to have that black type in there. And, and it was probably less taxing on them than a workout. So I, I think that when it comes to field size, and that's a lot of the reasons we have these problems. A lot of people are just dodging tough spots for easy spots. Well, they were rewarded. Uh, for running in this race. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, like, like you said, when dream goes through the ring, you'll see that she's grade one place. It's not going to say that there were only four horses. So it's a, it's a pretty, pretty obvious thing. I uh, would assume echo Zulu going to see Dr. Larry Bramlage. She's going to be out for a bit. Mataraya would probably at that point be a pretty, pretty heavy test favorite. I'm still crossing my fingers that Kathleen O gets healthy. I think she's ideally suited to a one-turn race at seven furlongs to a mile. But until then, Matareya is probably the queen of this uh, portion of the three-year-old division, just an 89 buyer speed figure. I don't think her time form U.S. figure was 112. So not a particularly fast race, but she did what she had to do. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe maybe Rudy will uh, debut another Bella Sophia coming up pretty soon, and, then, and that horse will win the test. 
it would certainly be nice to have a little more depth there. No question about it. The fourth race on the card was the just a game at a mile on the turf and Chad Brown entered three of the five. It was unclear if one of them was designed to be a pace setter or a pace stalking type. And it ended up that in Italian was the one who took on that role. The heavy favorite here, speak of the devil. This had a little bit of an, of the, of a feel like the New York on Friday um, in that Regal glory was the less fancied of the Chad Brown runners of the two runners that were fancied the most. Um, and, and speak of the devil, like Rougier had won her North American debut. Very, very impressively. Speak of the devil was jaw dropping at Churchill, whereas Rougier was just sort of work woman like on uh, in the bogey. And speak of the devil was kind of a no show again. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was, you know, I mean, the the the, the I know they had some rain earlier in the week. It feels like the track maintenance prepared for that because they went 132 flat in here and there was a lot of really fast time. So you'd like to think that the turf was very, very firm. Maybe those Euros, Rogier and Speak of the Devil, just didn't like the firm going. I, I, I don't know. They ran really bad. Both of them ran really bad, and they were both meant to run really well. Um, Regal Glory is one of those horses that, like, I feel like I, I feel like I should apologize to, not so much recently, but just in general. I just always thought she's just like a whatever horse. Well, I thought that early in her career. And man, she's turned out to be a really cool, consistent horse that is tactical, which Nick, I know you, you know, I love a little bit of, of a tactical type of horse that'll put themselves in, in a race and make their own trip. But man, she just turned out to be really damn good. And someone kind of said, maybe it was Chad that said it, that she's kind of the leader of this division. And I kind of was like, she can't be the leader of this division. She's a leader of this division. Um, and that's pretty cool. She's a, she's a really, really cool horse. She is. And she's a good example of why we clamor for horses to run longer because she's just gotten so much better as a, a five and now six year old. It's kind of amazing how good she's gotten, you know, to think about her running in, uh, in three-year-old races or she's, she's five now I haven't given her a year, but even so she, she's a horse that was running in three-year-old races during COVID and performing relatively well. Now I'm, I'm confusing myself. Is she five or six? She might she's be. A, she ran in that race at Saratoga where there's only three horses in it, it scratched down. They were all three Chads. Yeah. And it was in 19, right? She's six. Exactly. Yeah. It was all three Chads. And of course I got alive in the pick five to really good money. And some ridiculous Phil Bauer horse beat me from Churchill um, that I'm still pissed about, but as you can tell, but um, yeah, she's just a classy and consistent horse. Right. And Jose obviously rides her with a ton of confidence. Yeah. I, that was, was very clear all the way around there. You know, it's, it's probably not part of the story, but both speak of the devil and Rougier were trained by a guy overseas whose barn got raided in December and got suspended. Of course, he's, they've both, both been with Chad for a long time. I'm guessing it can be attributed most to the turf condition. There's also a little Euro bounce situation. I've always believed that horses that come over from overseas and run really well first time out often take a step backwards. But these two ran too badly to be believed. And I think if we see Chad continue on with uh, with them in the normal progression of races that he would generally run them in, I think that'll be a sign of confidence. He did say, interestingly, afterwards that Regal Glory will go to the four-star Dave. And, of course, in doing so, will bid to become a, a female winning that race for the third straight year. There's no more God Stormy. So hopefully Regal Glory takes to things upstate as well as she did. Yeah, and the other thing to, to keep in mind is you don't have to, to, to solve the, the problem now about whether or not uh, Speak of the Devil and or Regier are going to bounce back. The good thing I, when, when I, I feel like when you're evaluating Chad's horses is that because they're always at big racetracks, there's usually a workout report. 
mm-hmm. and you get to see them working against other good horses on the turf. So if Rougier and, and, and Regal Glory work together and Rougier continuously outworks Regal Glory in the morning, you'll have a little bit of a, okay, she's still around. She's still here. There must have been an excuse for why she ran so poorly. So I've always kind of gotten a little bit of like comfort in knowing that I'll, I'll have an answer to that question when I need to have one. I think that's a great point, and we'll hopefully see a little bit more of that on uh, XBTV as, uh, as things get situated up in Saratoga, get up, get a little more hot and heavy now as we close in on the meet. The fifth was the Brooklyn. Um, not, I, I don't have much to offer about the Brooklyn. I thought Fearless – I didn't like Fearless. I thought he was the kind of horse that – those bicycle horses usually aren't good at a mile and a half, but it's just Todd's world when it comes to long dirt races. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I loved Lone Rock. Um I, I've, I've long said that I don't think Lone Rock will lose a dirt race in this country going a mile and a half or further. Uh, I, I've said that a while ago. I've been right a lot, but twice I've been wrong. And it's been at Belmont, actually. And he, he got stuck on that dead rail last or two to, uh, la, um, uh, when, he, when he got beaten by the same rail. Gold rail, right. Gold rail, excuse me. Yeah. He, was, he was hung wide. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, he stumbled a little bit out of the gate. But outside of that, I didn't really see an excuse for him. I, I, I don't. I wanted to find an excuse. I didn't really see one. Um, I think Fearless was just better. It, and it was definitely better considering what we thought the racetrack was, right? Um, you know, be yeah. wide all the way around there. So, Yeah, I mean, at that point, we had seen three dirt races. They had all been won in wire-to-wire fashion by horses towards the inside. Um, this was the race to me that made it a little bit clearer that the racetrack probably was on the fairer side of normal. Um, I also think fearless was helped by the slow pace because it kind of stacked the whole field up. And if you're going to turn the thing into a quarter mile sprint, more or less a horse like fearless is going to have an edge on lone rock. Lone rock is right. right? He needs to gallop you into the ground. So the fact that first constitution was ridden in such a fashion to try and back the pace down, that was never really going to work for, uh, for lone rock who, there are just times where Ramon Vasquez, who's ridden him very well for the most part, but he just rides him in, in like a very timid fashion. He's a little noncommittal. And I thought that if he had maybe gone and tried to, to take the bull by the horns a little bit earlier, it may have made a difference. But on the day, I think Fearless was better. And he definitely definitely uh, was helped by the, the way the race unfolded um, with it being that pretty slow pace. So now we'll talk about some of the heavies that won on the back half of this card. And that begins with race number six with Jack Christopher, who is uh, just exceptionally good and seems to be better, clearly better at three than he was at two. And he was a damn good two-year-old. This was a tour de force. Yeah. Look, we, we, we saw a rich strike. We saw early voting. We saw uh, Mo Donegal. I, I think this is the best three-year-old in the country. Um and I think that that's going to be proven around two turns as well. Now, does this horse want to run in the Travers going a mile and a quarter? I don't know. I'm not too crazy when it comes to the difference. You know, if you can go a mile and an eighth, the right circumstance, you can go a mile and a quarter. Now, you might not be able to overcome a bunch of adversity and a bunch of trips and a bunch of other things going a mile and eighth to a mile and a quarter. But if you can win going a mile and an eighth, to me, you can win going a mile and a quarter. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this horse in the Haskell. I, I think he'll be extremely tough to beat. And I think it's going to be funny to see early voting kind of get off of that path of going to the Haskell that he was going to be on because uh, he's going to try to stay away from Jack Christopher. I, I think this is a special, special racehorse, and I'm excited to watch him for the rest of his career. Yeah, I mean, it puts it puts Chad Brown in a real conundrum with three horses essentially in two races because not, none of his 
horses are eligible for the Curlin. So talking about the Jim Dandy and the Haskell, um, two are going to have to go in one of those. And, and I think it makes more sense for, I think early voting is a better horse than Zandon. And, and I might be on an island in that respect, but I also think at a mile and an eight, Zandon is probably every, every close to as good. I don't think there's much separating them, um, but I still wouldn't send either one of them to run against Jack Christopher. So, I mean, that's kind of the, that's where the issue kind of arises. And, um, and then of course you have the element of epicenter is going to run in one of those two. Modonigal is going to run in one of those two, but I was going to bring this up with you actually a little later in the show, as far as this race goes, um, it didn't do anything to lead me to believe that there was anything going on with the racetrack. Witt made a wide move around the turn, but you could tell he was kind of empty at the quarter pole. I don't think it had anything to do with the track profile. The only knock on Jack Christopher coming out of this is pretty clearly that he sat on top of kind of a slow pace and and he beat a horses that were horribly overmatched on paper. So those are the two things that I would say you could you could hold a little bit against him. But, I mean, he's very good. Yeah, but I, I think that one of the things, one of my favorite kind of things I, I, I say at times is, yeah, who did he beat? Well, he beat the clock pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, and, and from a speed figure standpoint and, and someone who has a speed figure background, when you stop the clock like that, then I respect it. I respect it. Yes, he didn't have to overcome any adversity throughout the race as, as it pertains to other horses. But he's also one of those horses that makes his own trip all the time because he breaks well and he finds the front. And, and he then shuts off and listens to Jose and no one comes to him. He, he's kind of done that. And so we'll see what happens when he gets looked in the eyes. But, man, he's, a, he's an efficient mover. And uh, he's, I think he's just only going to get better. I, I really do. I think he's only going to get better. It, it feels that way. I mean, there's no no reason to think that he's not going to get better. He seems to be able to rate even more kindly now as a three-year-old than he did uh, as a two-year-old. He didn't have many opportunities as a two-year-old. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was the fact that he sort of angled outside to stalk after, uh, the, after Provocateur cleared, and he did it so calmly and so easily – I thought was just a tremendous sign that that this horse is, is just an overwhelming talent and uh, a 124 time form U.S. figure Bayern for comparison's sake earned a 128 winning the uh, Woody Stevens back in 2014. That was what all that clicking was for. I was trying to get back to the 2014 chart. Um, so if you hear it, I apologize. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see him against better horses. I think. Yeah. Mammoth feels like the right kind of place for him to stretch out. It's um, a track that's generally been conducive to front running types, fair surface more often than not, but I'm intrigued by it. And I know the barn rightfully so has been very high on this horse from the beginning. We will see how much he stacks up against that group in uh, roughly a little over a month. I certainly can't wait. One race that I was really looking forward to on this weekend and it played out, Maybe not quite like I expected, even though I picked the eventual winner was the Ogden Phipps, uh, which, of course, was won by Clarier. I, I sat with uh, most of our mutual friends and we were talking about the race. And so I was I was offering why I thought Latruska would be very tough to handle, even though I picked Clarier. And I said, you really think Irad is sacrificing search results to go up and duel with Latruska? And, and see if he can win the battle and the war. And everybody was like, yeah, you're right. He's never going to do that. Well, that's exactly what he did. Yeah, look, uh, I, I I have to say that I feel like search results was probably best. I, I felt like she put away the champ in Latruska. I thought she was she shouldn't have been as close as she was. 
the the game plan that like Chad had said he had talked to her, I heard him talk to Randy Moss about it. The, the game plan was to not hook her early, but to hook her late and take your chances beating her late, but not setting it up for someone else. And that's exactly what Irad did. Now, with that said, um, I was kind of against Malathot to a certain extent because her figure wasn't that fast in her comeback race. She's a pluggy type of horse that I respect, but she's a little bit pluggy to a certain extent. So I did think that Clarier was the closer that you wanted. I just didn't necessarily see the race falling apart. But with Latruska, I'm just talking through the entire race. With Latruska, it doesn't matter if the pace is really fast in the past. She still wins. So I had no idea what to do in this race when it came to making a decision. I thought if it fell apart, Clarier would win. I thought Latruska could wire. And I thought that search results could stock and pounce. And that's how I played it in multi-race bets. I, I, I played it for all three scenarios. I did not take a stand in this race whatsoever outside of the fact that I faded Malathon. Um, who do I want moving forward? Man, I don't know. Is Latruska just kind of, I mean, she kind of, her. She's two of her last three races have been clunkers. Has she had too much? I think I want Clarier or and search results moving forward as the, progressive types who do i want in the personal ensign one of those two yeah I, I think i i agree with basically all of that um i think the difference for latruska has really been in one particularly fast-paced race where she hung on and it was the personal ensign and the difference to me between that day and basically every other situation is that it was a two-turn race so she was able to i should say she also did the same thing in the shuvi a year before it was a two turn race. And so she's able to get that breather on the second turn. And that when you're going a mile and the 16th of Belmont around one turn and you're getting hooked, you're never getting a breather, right? You're, you're getting hounded the entire way. And really she was wilting at about the three eighths pole, which to me was a little striking. It was a little surprising, but um, you could see it coming and, and you kind of knew that she was in trouble. And it looked at that point, like search results was going very easily. The question becomes, so they were 12 lengths ahead of everybody else after a half mile. If Irad was probably a little less interested in dueling, but interested in being forward and he let Latruska have a length or two on him and go, you know, almost 23, almost 46. Did he have much of a chance in that scenario? The benefit of hindsight tells us that now we believe, no, he would have won because we yeah. saw how easily she was going to stop no matter what. Right. And it's about when you are going to apply some of the pressure. And so if he had advanced search results to apply some of the pressure, maybe when they were going into the far turn, then you would have asked Latruska to quicken there. And when they go into the far turn at Belmont, you've still got over four furlongs to go. She got a long way from home. Um, I thought search results was clearly best. She got a 127 time from U.S. figure, which was a little bit better than both Clarier and Malathot. Malathot's buyer figure from the, the double dog there needs to go up. There's just no – I mean, the fact that Norm Source super quick came back and ran as well as she did, and now Malathot improved by 17 points, it's obvious that that figure needed to be higher, which is no surprise. Mile in a 16th race is a Keeneland can be very tricky. Um I thought Malathot ran well. I don't really think that a mile and a 16th around one turn is her best game. I also don't know if she's really better than Clarier. And I never really have been all that sure that she's better than Clarier. Clarier had real excuses in both the Alabama and, and I mean, not maybe not so much in the Breeders' Cup. She was very, very wide when Malathot saved ground. I know there's a conversation about the rail not really being the best place, but those two are very close in ability, in my opinion. 
And I'm interested in what's going to happen when they run the personal engine. I would also imagine that the connections of search results have to not only think about trying the personal engine and exacting some revenge on these types, but they've got to at least be thinking about the ballerina as well. Because, I mean, if she has that kind of speed now and can stay that close, I don't think anybody's running her off their, her feet early. No, no, I, I don't think so either. And, and like we've always talked about, speed is such a huge weapon. And, and especially in these smaller type fields, right? Like, and these fields are never going to be big, massive fields, just the way that it kind of goes. Um, and, and I think that if you have that speed, which those do, it, it is always going to be a huge edge, tactical edge. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah, it was an exciting race on on paper. Um, this was one of the five horse fields where I really didn't want to hear anybody bitch because like there was nobody missing. You know, those were the five best female horses in America at a mile or more. And um, and it ended up being a, a real battle all the way to the finish. Let's talk about the Jiper, which was won by Casa Creed in really game fashion. You know, one of the things one of my biggest takeaways from this race was uh, big ups to Luis Saez. I mean, this was a inc- just an incredible ride and one where uh, where he made all the right calls. Yeah, look, I. I... It's he, he he stayed down in there. I, I heard Lee Einstein after the show or after the race, you know, kind of say that Casa Creed has kind of shown it throughout his career, not really loving being down on the inside. Um, and so that was pretty brave of, of, of the horse himself to stay down in there the way that he did. Um, and then Louis made that great, deci- well, not the great decision. He had another choice to get off the rail around, you know, right between the eighth and the 16th pole. And Costa Creed's a cool horse. He's a cool horse. I think they can win a big race going a little bit longer. But, man, that six furlongs at Belmont really just kind of hits him right between the eyes. And, uh, and and you know how I feel about closers in turf sprints. You just can never really trust them because they have to work out trips. But he was impressive, very impressive horse winning that race in back-to-back years. Yeah, and I thought there was a pretty strong argument to be made that this was maybe a little bit better effort than last year. He got a little less – pace to run at this year um tough to say though i will note that and this is just for this is not because of my failed wagering in the race but i'd used casa creed um it felt like and i've got to go back and look at the paths a little bit more being inside on the widener was an edge uh, there were a lot of races where the one two three finishers rode the inside the whole way and again we're in a situation where the rail had been taken down on on thursday night um and and they had not run on that grass all meet so that was very, very fresh turf. And if you look, I mean, the one, two, three finishers in this race are all over the inside the whole way, including third place finisher, True Valor, and even fourth place finisher, Change of Control, saved a bunch of ground the entire way too. So might be one to upgrade going forward. Casa Creed, as you said, a little bit of a tweener. Boy, he'd be a terrorist down the hill at Santa Anita. Oh my gosh. That'd be awesome. That'd be yeah. awesome. There's so many horses I think about all the time uh, that I would have loved to, to have a chance to see. Yeah, he'd be really tough to beat down there, kind of keep him close, uh, keep him connected uh, coming down the hill and then have that late kick where he could still go a mile. Uh, you're right about that. He'd be tough to beat. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun to see. Alas, not an option. Let's go to the final three grade ones of the uh, Belmont Stakes Day card. And this was the horse. I mean, there's no more exciting horse in racing. There probably hasn't been a more exciting horse in racing in quite some time. I know he doesn't run very often. I don't care. And you might be surprised by this, knowing a little bit of my background in history. I love Flightline. I think Flightline is like, I'm I'm totally taken by Flightline. I've never made a dollar on him, but um, he just has the look and the and the uh, the uh, performance level of, of an all-time great, in my opinion. Yeah, no, he, he's a freak. He, he's an absolute flat-out freak. Um, 
and I was watching racing on Saturday with, with people that know racing, but don't know racing like we know racing. And I said, I said, I just want to say that there's a chance then when it's all said and done, this could go down as one of the greatest horses of all time. The, the, the speed figures that this horse runs, the way he started his career and what the potential is for him. You know, if you're, you could be watching greatness, one of the greats. Um, and man, he, he, he was impressive. He didn't have it. I mean, he ended up working out an okay trip, but it wasn't easy for the beginning. Kind of got stuck in a little bit of a tight spot. He kind of had to shuffle out of there and run around horses. And the thing I'm most impressed about with Flightline is unlike horses like Jack Christopher and some of these other horses we saw run this weekend that were impressive. He ran by a real racehorse in speaker's corner. Like he was tied to the quarter pole. Um, I think Flightline is special. And I'm excited to see Flightline um, stretch out. I, I mean, I, I hope, I hope he runs in the Whitney because it'll be a real race. I think he'll win the Pacific Classic, but it's going to be against, you know, whatever those horses sure. are out there. It's you know little, what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I want to see him run in the Whitney because I want him to run against Life is Good. And I want, and I think he'll beat Life is Good, but I want it to happen there or here you know and so we'll have to see what happens but i i don't think he'll have any distance i mean he's bred to run all day mm -hmm. um his style he shuts off he's not one dimensional he's not like you know go out there and blitz him and then get tired late i, I think he's i think he's an exceptional horse yeah i mean fast works at any distance right and, and this is a horse that using the pace figures i kind of as a guide for maybe how good he is i felt like his malibu was a lot better than I initially realized when I saw just how fast he went early and that he blew their doors off late. And so the reason why Speaker's Corner was just subjugated the way he was is because he went a lot faster early than he has recently. And Flightline seemed to be doing that as if they were, were going five-eighths at you know 6.30 in the morning. Right. He didn't look like he was working hard to do that at all. And Speaker's Corner is a horse that I think is very talented and is very, very good. And he made him look very much ordinary um, and, and then still had more than enough in the tank to pull away from Happy Saver, who was kind of more of a fresh challenger, if you will. So, yeah, this horse is bizarrely good. He's 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 a real talent. And uh, like you, I hope selfishly that he does end up in a race like the Whitney. I think it would be a. It's, I mean, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but it's really a race that's more deserving of a horse of his medal at this point. And, and I also wonder, given the way he's been campaigned, and I mean, part of the story with him is that he has obviously campaigned um, very conservatively. I don't really know if you'd want to run a mile and a quarter off a three-month layoff. I wouldn't put anything past this horse, but I think running him in a race like the Whitney, they're probably only going to run him one more time before the Breeders' Cup. I think it sets you up a little bit more time-wise to go – the longer break from there to Keeneland than, uh, than to go a while now before you go a mile and a quarter. Maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part, but boy, he is very exciting. Yeah. Spectacular racehorse. Absolutely. We'll see where he ends up next. What we do know is that after Flightline won the Met Mile in a very impressive fashion, we had a field of 10 going postward in the Manhattan that included four trainees from the Chad Brown barn. And, uh, you know, I ran through a lot of scenarios in this race in my head and shockingly, not one of them was Channelmaker getting left by five lengths and Tribuven getting a ridiculously easy lead and drawing off and winning this race by uh, three and a half lengths when he had seven lengths at the quarter pole. Yeah, like, I think sometimes when, when I do these podcasts, like we, we feel this need to like talk and talk and talk about a certain situation. This is very simple to me. 
Trevuvin got loose. They, they, they kept telling themselves he's going to come back to us, and he didn't. If Channelmaker breaks, neither one of them win. Maybe Channelmaker could have won. Trebuvin would not have won in that situation. He just got brave. He got comfortable, and, and he pulled off an upset against a bunch of, for grade one Manhattan Belmont Day standards, average-type horses. There was no killers in there behind him. Adamo couldn't even work with bricks and mortar in the morning if they if they it's, they're just they're not they're not even comparable animals and that was Chad's best chance. Um, Santine was bias aided in his race, I thought at Churchill. Channelmaker is eight and can only win if he gets things his own way. So that's the perfect situation for a horse like Tribuvin to get to get lucky, find the lead, and win. That's basically it. There's no there's not there's nothing really more to it to me in that situation. Yeah, I didn't care for the ride Adamo got. Um, I didn't notice it as much first time around. Watching the replay, I thought Flavian Pratt was um, – I thought he had him in a bad spot going to the first turn, and then I thought he was exceptionally conservative in terms of asking him to run, almost as if he was treating Tribuvin like he was a rabbit, like he was going like to stop and come back to him. And, you know, a, a year earlier – Tribuvin turned for home with a three-length lead on domestic spending. Well, Adamo's not as good as domestic spending. I think we know that pretty clearly. And so if he thought he was just going to go get him, he didn't give his horse the best chance to uh, to do so. I know a mile and a quarter probably isn't his, his game. I'm so tired of Gufo, and I'm so tired of people acting like he's a grade one caliber horse. He won a grade one as a three-year-old over a terrible field. He won a grade one as a four-year-old over Japan with a giant pace set up. He is a horse that is such a bet against in any opportunity you have because he's always going to get bet and he always finds a horse to finish behind. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. He, he lets me down often. Um, you know, I, it, it's just that was that was one of the worst additions of the Manhattan I've seen since I've been watching the Belmont. There's always at least one kind of killer in there. This race did not contain that killer. Yeah, it's a division that, of course, generally goes as Chad goes, and Chad's horses are are grade 1.5 to grade 2 kind of horses right now, so no great surprise. That was the race that preceded the main event. The main event itself, of course, was the Belmont Stakes. That was run as race number 11. Now, you liked Mo Donegal going in. I, I know you picked Mo Donegal on top. You had to love, from the start to the quarter pole, how that race unfolded. I mean, it couldn't have been couldn't have been better. Yeah, he was he, I, I, he was getting a great trip. And then, they, you know, on the backside, Irad kind of moved him a little bit closer, which made me happy. Um, and then he just kind of ranged up and he just did his thing. You know, he wasn't as far. I actually thought he might be a little bit closer. My whole stick all week was bringing up Dunkirk and Commissioner and how those two horses never showed any speed prior to the Belmont for Todd. And then they found themselves on the lead. I thought that that Mo Donegal, I didn't think he would make the lead, but I thought he would be like sitting second or third. I thought they'd hustle him away from there. So he wasn't as close as I thought he was going to be, but he was closer than he has been. Um, and, 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 you know, look, I, I, I thought he was good. I thought that was his race. That was his race. I don't think I'm going to be cutting in line to bet him at these mile and eighth races. Um, we'll see how he progresses. Maybe something like the Travers, you could take a look at him based on who shows up in there. Um, I thought it was really cool that, that, that Mike Rapoli ran one too, you know, just as a, you know, as much as we know how much he wants to win that race to then be able to run one too. But was pretty cool. Ness ran well. Um, she's the type of horse that I think, you know, she's got to be the favorite to win the Alabama off of that performance. So that's that's always encouraging. And then, um, you know, I, 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 Rich strikes a fraud, and it makes me even more mad that he beat me on on Derby Day. Yeah, I was actually I was surprised by the 
the there seemed to be kind of a chorus of people those oh i why are you guys pounding your chest about being right that rich strike ran up the track and it's like okay so now we're at a point where you can't point out why a four to one shot is a bad bet without hurting somebody's feelings you know i I I mean yeah my i mean my my whole thing is like you know I, I cherish the Kentucky Derby and it's, it's, it's fun and it's, a, it's an exciting day with, and, 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 and often it's a formful race that has a lot to do with our industry and all these things. And so sometimes like, you know, I, I just was annoyed that, that this horse won because he won with literally the greatest ride he could have possibly gotten with the greatest setup he could have possibly got possibly gotten. So I just want him to be the Kentucky Derby winner. I don't want him to be the second coming and, Oh, we're so mad. He didn't run the Preakness. He would have lost the Preakness too. So I just, that's my whole like kind of anti thing. It's a little bit, it's a little, it's a little Nikki the boss, to be honest, when people are like acting like he's the next coming, I'm like, stop it. He's not, he's not that good. So I guess that's my annoyance with him. I'm probably meaner about it than you would be. But the only thing I said that I felt like was important for people to know was that this whole idea after the Derby, when it was announced that he was going to skip the Preakness and go to the Belmont, that the Belmont was such a much better fit for him. Yeah. That's just a fallacy. Like no, that's, that's, a, that's, that is, that is erroneous. There's nothing about the Belmont that makes that horse a good fit for it at all. So it played out a lot. Like I thought, I mean, I didn't, I didn't use him for a nickel, and quite honestly, won't use him for nickel ever. No. Because what what happened, um, what happened on the first Saturday in May will likely never happen for him again. No, no, he's he's a, he's a bet against for the rest of his life. Yeah, and he'll be depressed odds for in in most of those races. Uh, the balance of the field, there's really not much to say about it. I think we were reminded, and I'm kind of made a mental note that you have to be careful betting speed horses in the Belmont because it's so rare that they are going to get, and this is now two years in a row that I have bet the front runner in the Belmont and they've been beaten. Of course, hot rod Charlie ran way better than we, the people did. It's very hard to sneak away from the field and set the fractions that you need to, in order to, to maintain an advantage, because the more you invite the rest of the field into the race, it's that much harder for you to fend all of them off in that final quarter mile. So I don't necessarily want to blame Flavian Pratt, but just kind of a note in my own head that it is tough to wire the Belmont and for every Datara, there are a lot more you know, horses sitting second, third or fourth. I thought this ride by Irad was phenomenal. And, um, and I thought he rode, I felt like a lot of times in, in the past, he rode Mo Donegal with very little confidence and he kind of scrubbed on him a lot and he had to get him outside and, you know, and then Joel rode him, in such a slick fashion in the wood, saving ground, getting through on the rail, almost like he knew he kind of needed to cheat to win the race and he needed to cut every corner and save every inch of ground. And then Irad came back in the, in the Derby and was in kind of the enviable position of having a, a dead last closer in an exceptionally fast paced race. And he was just kind of dull down the stretch. You know, he didn't really pick up, mm-hmm. but I thought he, he really benefited. And I think you're, you're likely right about him really, benefiting from the distance and the distance being the thing that separated him from everybody else. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I won't be cutting in line to bet any winners of these triple crown races. I respect early voting, but he got things kind of his own way on the day. Uh, at least it's arguable that he got things his own way. And then I, 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 you know, I'm not gonna be cutting in line for Mo Donegal that kind of worked out for him. Um, and I'm surely not going to be betting rich, rich strike, you know, so, it, but that happens, I think, from time to time. So, 
who is likeliest of the three to win a grade one from now until the end of the year? And uh, so who is likely to win? Or, or, or do you think the likeliest scenario is that zero? There are zero grade one wins among the three of them. I'm going to look, I, they both have great trainers. They both are great horses, great pedigrees, great riders. I'm going to go with the one who has more tactical speed in early voting, just because he can, he can work out situations better than I think Mo Donegal can. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I have a feeling that depending on how the Saratoga races shake out, um, I could see Chad kind of maybe looking at early voting in a race like the Woodward and that being a really good spot to take on older horses, one turn mile and an eighth, that kind of thing. I don't know, maybe even the Pennsylvania Derby, but it, it, it all depends. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting second half of the year. You would say your favorite to win the three-year-old eclipse at this point, Jack Christopher. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. I think, you know, he's got the Pat day mile. He's got, uh, you know, he's got the, the Woody Stevens. I think he'll have the Haskell at that point and then we'll see what happens with him. But I mean, if they, you know, uh, if he wins the Haskell, I feel like then they will take a chance of him running in the classic. Right. I mean, why wouldn't they? Yeah. They're not going to do the dirt mile. That's not going to really add anything for him. It's not going to accomplish much for him. I don't think so. We'll see unless, unless they're, you know, but they already got a deal done as a stallion. So they're not going to probably bring them back as a four-year-old and say, well, you know, we'll do the classic next year, dirt mile this year. It feels like they'll just kind of go for the gusto with him and, and see what happens. Yeah. I, I would imagine Chad's goal right now is getting three healthy horses to the gate for August 27th. And, and I mean, he would pack a, a mighty wallop with those three all ready to go. So that's uh, that's an extended look at Belmont day and the Belmont stakes racing festival. What did we forget? Um, nothing. I don't think we forgot anything. No, I think we knocked it all out. Your boys, the horns are in the uh, college world series. I'm sure you're very pumped about that. A and M is in there too. I don't really watch baseball, but yeah, college baseball. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Not a big deal. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the in the money players podcast, looking at the Belmont stakes racing festival for Jonathan Kinchin, Nick Tamaro here until next time. Best of luck.